When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Penscast Mailbag. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna. As always, alongside me, he is a fellow contributing writer over at pensburg.com and co-host of the Penscast and the Penscast Mailbag. It is Robbie Noggle. Robbie, we, we've had a couple of days to uh, to let the the excitement kind of swell down, but if anything, I've just gotten more excited to wonder what the the free agency and draft period will hold with the newly minted president of hockey operations and Kyle Dubas. And with that, we have a lot of questions this week talking about the potential future of the Pittsburgh Penguins under Kyle Dubas's leadership. So uh, let's dive right into it. We have 14 questions this week coming from both Brian and Snail, frequent mailbag contributors. As always, Robbie, you get question number one. We'll dive straight into it with Brian here. During the 2008 season, the big acquisition was obviously Marion Hossa at the trade deadline, but were the more valuable acquisitions Pascal Dupuis and Hal Gill? Brian remembers being happy that the Penguins landed Hossa, but he was, quote, enthralled with getting Hal Gill. Robbie, cast your mind back to 2008, and uh, let's go in the Wayback Machine and talk about these, these trade acquisitions. So I've mentioned on this podcast uh, multiple times the importance of the Marion Hossa acquisition in 2008. And listen, long-term-wise, Dupuis obviously was here for uh, many years. Hal Gill uh, was here uh, and won a cup. He was here, I think, another two years after that. Uh, And Marion Hossa was really just in Pittsburgh for three, four months at most. So there was a lot of hard feelings after the way Hosa left on Pittsburgh, but Hey, it, that, that is what it is. The Penguins got redemption the next year. So going back to the trades, Hosa was at, at the time and, and really, I mean, he's a future hall of famer, but he was at his peak and he had a really long peak as an NHL player. He was a really, really good player for a very long time. And when they got him, not only were they getting Crosby, a guy who eventually scored 500 goals to play alongside him. They had instant chemistry, but that was the clearest sign that the Penguins were all in. After years of struggles, getting back to the playoffs the year before, this was the sign that the Penguins were all in when they got Marion Hosa. And Dupuis was a toss in that trade. How good was a separate trade? And listen, all three of those guys, uh, Hosa. Dupuis and Gill were all very important uh, to the Penguins in that run uh, to the finals. And then the latter two being important into uh, actually winning the cup uh, the next season. But Hosa, it's such a important trade because of what it meant to the fan base, to the team, 
I mean, this was a bona fide superstar coming to play in Pittsburgh uh, to join the other superstars that are already here and kind of make their mark and kind of get to about as close to the mountaintop as you can get uh, without actually getting to the peak. And yeah, they got there the next year. But Hosa, though he wasn't there for the Cups, was an integral part of the Penguins getting to where they are today, the success they had today. And though, though in the short term, he was the most important of those pieces. In the long run, obviously, Dupuis won two Cups here. Gill won a Cup. Uh, but Hosa still stands out as that that guy, the dude. He back before this was this wasn't a saying back then. Marion Hosa was him when he came to Pittsburgh and he made an immediate impact, had great chemistry with Crosby, and was really just a huge, huge sign to the fan base that this era was going to be an era of great success. Uh, question number two from Brian. Uh, Sidney Crosby and Mario Lemieux are two of three players to win the Conn Smythe in consecutive seasons. Can there be an argument made that it should have been Matt Murray being the player to have won it consecutively instead of Sid, or at least Murray winning one Conn Smythe in the back-to-back cup run? So this is a really fun question. I was digging through some stats on that 2015-16 team, and my my memory is a little hazy. I, I've never had the greatest memory, but looking back, uh, that 2015-16 team, I was shocked that at, even at the time and still now that that Conn Smythe didn't go to Phil Kessel. Uh, in 24 games played, Kessel had 10 goals, 12 assists, 22 points. He was a plus five had five power play goals. It ended up going to Sidney Crosby, like Brian mentioned, in 15-16 and 16-17. And for Crosby, I I can see why. I mean, he was the captain at that point. He was still very much the face of the league. Six goals, 13 assists, 19 points. He was a minus two. He also had uh, three power play goals to go along with it as well. So I'm not saying Crosby was not deserving, but Brian obviously talking about Matt Murray and the immediate success he had even at at 21 years old. So he was a rookie and because of the NHL and how they classify rookies, he was still a rookie when they won the second cup in 2016, 17, but looking at the 2015, 16 run Murray started, he played in 21 of those games winning 15 of them, losing six with a 923 save percentage and a 208 goals against average with one shutout. So I could definitely see the argument, and I would not have been against giving it to Matt Murray in that case for basically being shot out of a cannon on fire and going through hoops to basically backstop Pittsburgh to another Stanley Cup run. In 16-17, it was kind of split between both Murray and and Marc-Andre Fleury, as that was Marc-Andre Fleury's kind of swan song. However, in the second cup run, while Murray only played in 11 of those games, starting 10 of them going 7-3 and three, with a record of 7-3, and three, he did have three shutouts and a 937 save percentage. So, obviously, a couple of those statistics see an increase year over year from 15-16 to 16-17. And again, Crosby winning that con, Smythe as well. In the 16-17 season, there's much more of an argument to why Crosby won it. He had a much better stat line this time around, 8 goals, 19 assists, 27 points, and was a plus 4. So I have less of an argument against Crosby winning in 16-17, but between the two, it would have been wild to see Matt Murray at 21 win that con Smythe as a rookie and winning 15 out of 16 games necessary to win a Stanley Cup. 
again, obviously it goes to Sidney Crosby, and I already made the argument for Phil Kessel during the 15-16 run. But at the end of the day, Sidney Crosby, that's just another another trophy, another accolade to put on his mantle when he hangs him up for good. He can look back and wear that and reflect on that proudly winning the back-to-back con Smythe trophies. Question number three comes from Brian. Considering Jason Spezza stepped down an hour after Kyle Dubas had parted ways with Toronto, do you see Jason Spezza being brought onto Kyle Dubas's staff? And what role could you see Jason Spezza having if he is brought to Pittsburgh? It's already basically been confirmed that Jason Spezza uh, will be coming to uh, Pittsburgh in some form or fashion uh, following Kyle Dubas after. He was hired by the Penguins as president of hockey operations. I believe it was Elliot Friedman that had the tweet. Uh, let's see if I can find it here real quick. Elliot Friedman on 32 Talking Points, uh, his podcast. I do think he's going to be in the Penguins organization, but he did specify that he does not think that Jason Spezza will be the general manager. Uh, last season, his first season as a retired player, he joined the Toronto front office as a special advisor to the general manager, meaning he reported directly to... Um, Kyle Dubas uh, with the Maple Leafs, and uh, it appears that he will be joining Kyle Dubas in Pittsburgh. I, If I had to guess, it would be either the same role or it would be as an assistant general manager, uh, one of those two things. I guess technically in Pittsburgh it would be a special assistant to uh, the president of hockey ops, but I could see him being in an assistant general manager role. Again, I think he is really just being kind of – brought up to be a general manager someday in the future. I think um, he clearly has the, his sights set on that. And the obvious target there is if the general manager role would ever become open in Ottawa, uh, where he spent most of his playing career, some of his best years. Um, he is from Toronto. Uh, he is a Maple Leafs boy at heart. But you have to wonder how exactly, if there's any bridges still intact, after that's all, all that's played out, he does appear loyal. Uh, to Kyle Dubas. So uh, it does appear that he will be coming to Pittsburgh. Uh, that will probably be confirmed here as Dubas begins to make announcements on uh, who his staff will be in Pittsburgh. Uh, I would assume that Dubas or Dubas would like to get it done before the draft because uh, Jason Spencer, I'm assuming, does some scouting uh, in his role with the Maple Leafs and he'll want to bring that knowledge with him. And he did resign, so he's no longer employed by the Maple Leafs, as far as I know. So uh, as long as all the contract issues can work out, I see no reason that Jason Spezza won't be a member of the Penguins front office uh, in some fashion uh, here in the very near future. Uh, Brian coming in with question number four. Uh, Garrett, since you're a pop punk fan like me, have you ever heard of a band called City Lights? I recently found them and they are excellent. Uh, Sadly, no longer a band, though. So we record this on uh, Monday night. Yesterday, Sunday, I was compiling the outline and I was working and I had some downtime while I was working. So I loaded up Spotify and I had a lot of downtime while I was working and I saw that they had a couple of studio albums 
and I was very much impressed. So I would like to thank you, Brian, for, for giving me another, another band recommendation that I can put into a Spotify playlist. So I was very much impressed. I really like their sound and I'm always looking, I'm always looking for more pop punk. So if you have them, uh, if you have any more recommendations or anything like that, you know, put it in here in the mailbag or even DM me on Twitter and we can talk about it there. But yeah, I, I had not heard of this band. I saw you ask the question on Sunday and you know, and I put up Spotify and I was thoroughly impressed. I really enjoyed both of the albums that I listened to last night. So uh, now you have me hooked, but like you said, they, they haven't been a band for a couple of years now, but the studio albums that they did put out, I was, I was pretty much hooked. It's, it's, that has that classic pop punk sound that I really vibe with. And, uh, like I said, I, I really enjoyed basically discovering this band and listening to this band in the span of like half an hour, 45 minutes. And I was hooked. So Brian, I thank you for that. Question number five, we'll also go back to Brian here. Robbie, what do you think about Bo Bennett saying on Twitter the other day that he might move to Pittsburgh? And he said that Pittsburgh is his favorite city that he's been to throughout his playing and post-playing career. I truly, Brian says, I truly feel like Pittsburgh is a hidden gem in America. People don't know the greatness of it until they come here. So, Robbie, I have made my love of Bo Bennett known on this podcast, but I will say if he does come back to Pittsburgh, we have to make sure there's a stockpile of ambulances at the ready, just in case. Yeah. I saw this uh, tweet pop up. I think somebody retweeted into my timeline over the weekend. Uh, Bo Bennett saying he considering moving back to Pittsburgh. And this seems like a common refrain you hear from uh, a lot of athletes that have spent time in Pittsburgh, whether it be um, just short stints or uh, a majority of their careers. And, a lot of those guys are still around here. A lot of the uh, old-time Steelers um, from the 70s still live in the Pittsburgh area. Uh, even the more modern Steelers, uh, Ben Roethlisberger uh, is still in the uh, – I'm not sure exactly where, but I believe he's still in the Pittsburgh area. I'm trying to think of some guys. I know some of the – like Brett Kiesel never left Pittsburgh. I'm not sure where James Harrison's at, if James Harrison's still on. Ike Taylor's still in Pittsburgh. Joey Porter obviously never left Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, his son will now – uh, be playing uh, for the Steelers, but he grew up uh, playing uh, in the Whipple Football League uh, through high school uh, before going to college. Obviously, Mario never left. Uh, you, you still see a lot of uh, former Penguins uh, that come to games um, during the season as a guest to Mario. Uh, Jay Caulfield, a guy, a perfect example, never left Pittsburgh. Uh, Colby, I don't know if Colby is like full time in Pittsburgh, but he's in Pittsburgh quite a bit. Obviously, Phil Bork. Uh, it's in Pittsburgh, quite obviously, since he's on the radio broadcast. And if you caught the, there was a, a special piece from, I believe, GQ magazine that came out on Andrew McCutcheon, uh, kind of detailing his exit from Pittsburgh and his return. And it certainly sounds like Pittsburgh is a place that he wants to not only finish his career, but stay in his post career. His, his retirement plans uh, seem to involve the city of Pittsburgh as well. So uh, a common refrain is athletes fall in love with the city, it's a very livable city. I'm not saying it's perfect by any means, but it's not a New York or an L.A. or Chicago in terms of size. It has a nice suburban sprawl kind of that you don't have to live directly in the city. Uh, and it's really changed since the 70s and 80s with the uh, when they uh, with all the steel pollution uh, coming from the steel plants. And I, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that Bo Bennett uh, wants to live in Pittsburgh, um, seeing that many athletes kind of uh, former penguin or former Pittsburgh athletes kind of go down that path. And yeah, like you said, I just hope that the hospitals, they might need to, they can just maybe 
open a special wing just for Bo Bennett, whatever one he lives closest to. But no, like Bo Bennett seems like a great guy. Uh, it's just obviously we've talked about many times uh, the the injury luck just wasn't on his side. But it'd be great to have him in Pittsburgh, and I think he could be a great ambassador for the Penguins as well if he would choose to go that route and come back to Pittsburgh. Question number six uh, again from Brian here. Uh, do you find it concerning that Dubas spoke on Tristan Jari in his presser, but not Jason Zucker? No, not really. At the time of, the, of that press conference, Dubas was basically directly asked about the goaltending situation and Tristan Jari on an expiring contract. And I don't blame I don't blame Dubas for not really mentioning Zucker. He basically, like he said, he had been on the job for 15 minutes going into that press conference. I'm sure he's taken a look before then and since then uh, of the depth chart and where the salary cap situation stands. And I'm sure one of his priorities is going to be trying to work out some sort of extension with Jason Zucker. I mean, he he, he did say he really likes the top six. Uh, he thinks it's one of the better top sixes in the league. And obviously, Jason Zucker was a big part of that on the second line, having one of the best seasons of his career last season. So, no, I, I'm not concerned. Uh, if if Dubas was, was asked about Zucker in that press conference, you know, maybe – Maybe your fears are, are put to rest, but no, I, I think Dubas is trying to formulate a plan as we speak about trying to extend Jason Zucker, keeping as much of that top six intact as possible. So no, I don't find it concerning as we get closer to the draft and free agency, and there hasn't really been progress on that front, then maybe I am a bit more concerned about Zucker's long-term prospects in Pittsburgh. But for right now, when we're still a couple of weeks out, even from the draft, no, I, I'm not. I'm not concerned about it at this point. Question number seven, also from Brian, Robbie. Do you see a situation that if the Florida Panthers were not to win the Stanley Cup, that either Matthew Kachuk or Sergei Bobrovsky still win the Conn Smythe, and out of these two, which of the two is most likely to win it? So, would a it's very rare. Uh, but would you make the argument for a losing player winning the Conn Smythe? It would take a very special performance from either of those guys to win it in a losing effort. The last one, I believe, in a losing effort was uh, John Sebastian Giguere. 20 years ago, in 2003, as a member of the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, uh, they lost to the New Jersey Devils in seven games. Uh, Giguere was just lights out that entire playoff run, so um, it's not unheard of. Uh, Ron Hextall... Um, Curse his name as a general manager, but he also won a Conn Smythe uh, with the Philadelphia Flyers in a losing effort in the 80s. So, again, not unheard of, not impossible. I just think it would take a truly special effort because I think um, a guy like Aiden Hill, who stepped in, in to take over the goaltending role for, for uh, Vegas, if you saw some of the saves he was making in game one, if he keeps playing like that, I don't see how... He doesn't unseat like a Bobrovsky. Um, Jonathan Marchessault, who can't stop scoring right now, I think uh, is among the favorites to win it. I think if Florida wins it, I don't think, unless Kachuk scores like 10 goals in the final and Bobrovsky is just kind of mid, I, I really think it's either Sugar or Bobrovsky or Bust if Florida wins. Uh, just the way that's, remember, the Smythe is the entire playoffs, not just uh, the Stanley Cup final like you see in uh, baseball or um, the NFL. 
of the Super Bowl MVP or even uh, the NBA Finals where the fi- where the MVP is specifically for that series. The Conn Smythe is a whole body of work across the entire playoffs. So um, I think it's Bobrovsky or no one on the Panthers' side if they win. And if they lose, I, Bobrovsky would have to – it would have to be like a seven-game series where he gives up like five goals – in the final three losses or something like that. And they just can't score. But even if that's the case, then Aiden Hill is probably playing out of his mind. And I don't see how you don't give it to Aiden Hill. Uh, so it's going to take a truly special effort from guys like Kachuk or Borowski to um, get the Smythe in a win. Uh, so I think if I was putting money down on it, whoever, whoever's the winning team will also have uh, the Smythe winner uh, in this series. Question eight, we switch over to Snail here. Can we hear your personal takes on where you stand with the Dubas hiring? Is optimism high or low? Personally, I, I'm all for it. I have been wanting desperately to have someone in Pittsburgh that has a really progressive mindset about the ho- game of hockey in the NHL. We saw at this point where the passive approach with Ron Hextall got you and it got you absolutely nowhere. If anything, it may have set you back a bit and it's going to be even more of a mess for Kyle Dubas to come in and clean up and try and make this team competitive as possible to try and get back into the postseason. But at 37 years old with a ton of executive experience already in the NHL with a lot of people saying that Dubas as an executive hasn't even hit his prime yet. I can't be more excited about the future. I, I saw just today that allegedly the contract he signed in Pittsburgh is a seven-year deal, which was bonkers when I read it. Then I realized FSG has more money than anyone here will ever ever see in an entire lifetime. So money isn't really the issue if Kyle Dubas kind of implodes, and I, I personally don't think he will. I am just over the moon and excited to see the use of data and analytics in in the sport and specifically for the team that I root for. Robbie, I imagine you have some of the some similar sentiment regarding the hiring of of uh, Kyle Dubas as well, right? Absolutely. It's hard after everything they've gone through the last two years uh, and the whole search and waiting around and then to see to have him talk like he did at that press conference. It's hard not to be excited for the future and it's really i mean this is a guy that's been basically doing this in some form or fashion at least from a scouting perspective since he was like 18 uh in so saint marie with uh, the sioux so he has already at 37 like 20 years experience under his belt and now he went from again toronto is i mean for something like that i mean toronto i know they haven't won a cup since in like almost 60 years, but Toronto is still this mega hockey hotbed and to have that job that young. And then you go from there to one of the flagship expansion franchises in NHL history, uh, a team that's won five cups. You look at the players and you look at the team and the history and he understands that. And I think he pays great respect to Penguins franchise. And I think you kind of saw that. He gets. He seems like he clicks with Mike Sullivan. I'd like to see them do a press conference together at some point, and maybe we'll get some of that at the draft. I don't know uh, what the plans are for that exactly, but they just seem like they get each other. 
uh, they're on the same page, whereas that wasn't the case with the last regime. And I just, FSG has their guy now. This is their front office, and they're going to give him a very long leash. You don't just give out seven-year contracts if you don't have a long-term plan here. So it's hard not to be excited. And the nice part is we're going to get right into this. We're now, we'll be three weeks from the draft here in a couple days, and it's getting real serious now. And I just, I, I could not be more excited. All right, question number nine, and we'll go back to Snail here. Ron Hainsey was sort of that unexpected veteran presence acquired that got his first cup back in the 2017 run with Pittsburgh. Did you guys ever have a cupless veteran in mind who you wanted to always hitch a ride with Crosby and the Penguins for a deep run? Snail says, after Jerome McGinley, the one guy I always wanted to hitch a ride here in Pittsburgh was Jumbo Joe Thornton. Well, we had the the Patrick Marlowe experiment that one year that didn't work out. That was 2020, the COVID year. Um, I think, again, again, sticking kind of with that, seems like a lot of greats went through San Jose. Um, And Eric Carlson, uh, Brent Burns, who's now in Carolina. Who else? Oh, Joe Pavelski. Again, the Penguins denied a lot of these guys Stanley Cups in 2016. So uh, the Penguins kind of play a role in those guys not having a cup, but I can't say that. Hey, that's that's what it is. Now, Pavelski's a guy, an American. Um, I've always enjoyed watching him play. I've always loved his game. Dude does not stop. And he looks like he's going to keep going. So that'd be a guy that I'd love to see get a shot at a cup in Pittsburgh. Obviously, Jumbo Joe and Marlowe are no longer uh, in the NHL. I don't know if Thornton has officially retired yet, but you never know when uh, his time is officially done, but he it, it's sad that he won't ever get uh, that cup shot. Other guys, just can't thinking off the top of my head here. Uh, there's so many great guys out there that have got a cup. I mean, I know he played Philly for most of his career, but it'd be hard to say, like, to get a run with Claude Giroux, uh, just to see if he could get uh, that cup. He probably deserves it. Um, a thousand-point guy, but, hey, that's that's how it is. But, yeah, I mean, there's so many great guys out there that it's hard to pick. Uh, just one, but Hainsey was a great one because Hainsey was that guy that never made the playoffs and kind of helped patchwork the Penguins defense that year in 2017 and all the way to the Stanley Cup, but great story. Question number 10 from Snell. Am I missing something in regard to the situation around bringing Tristan Jari back? You have cap space and an aggressive general manager, not to mention goaltending has given you diddly squat when it's mattered the last few seasons, and John Gibson and Connor Hellebuck reportedly wanting out of their situations they're currently in. If I had to put money on it, I would say Tristan Jari comes back on a two or three year deal. That's just what I feel. I have no insider knowledge about that. I'm just looking at the current crop of free agent goaltenders. Tristan Jari, even with his injury woes and postseason woes is probably still the best of the bunch in the unrestricted class. I know last week, I think Robbie mentioned Jeremy Swayman out in Boston. If you maybe swing a deal for a young goaltender like that, looking at Gibson and Hellebuck between the two, I know Gibson is the Pittsburgh guy. Uh, looking at some of his statistics, even on bad Anaheim teams, I'm not really sold on him. It would be a fun story, a Pittsburgh guy coming back to play for the Penguins. You know, we've hypothesized about that for what seems like a decade now. But Connor Hellebuck is the guy that we've talked about here on this podcast. If a trade is to be made, we know, like Snail mentions, that Kyle Dubas likes to be aggressive, and he certainly seems like he's in that win-now mode that 
acquiring a player like Connor Hellebuck, no matter the cost, if you let Tristan Jari walk, I, I would be all for it. I mean, you have, what, maybe three, four seasons until everything just kind of hits the fan and you're not really competitive. So max out as much as you can in the short term. I, I don't care really what it would cost to, to get a Connor Hellebuck. Between the two, I'd take Hellebuck. If that meant Tristan Jari walks to unrestricted free agency, then so be it. But as things stand right now, I kind of have a feeling that Tristan Jari is going to be back on a short term. I don't know if you, if you even want to call it a prove it deal or a bridge deal, but get, I don't know. He doesn't really have a ton of leverage. I mean, he's been a good regular season goaltender, but like Snail mentioned, when you needed it the most, you didn't get it from Tristan Jari for one reason or another. Mostly injury playing a role in that. And I know injury, you can't really control injury as a professional athlete, but professional sport is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately business. And in Jari's case, what he's done lately for the Penguins hasn't really created meaningful, sustainable results. If Jari walks and they go get a Hellebuck, great. If they bring Jari back, prove it to me that you can be the number one because you're probably only going to get a two- or three-year deal. Question number 11 comes from Snail. Everyone's talking about the free agent class this year being a weak one. That always frustrates me because teams like Tampa or Carolina don't wait for free agency to get players they need. They'll go out and make a trade for the player that they want. Robbie, uh, looking at some of the potential players hitting the market this year or players who may want out of their current situation, who are some names that you may be eyeing for a Dubas-esque kind of trade? To make trades, you got to have two dance partners. Uh, it's great to um, have a list of players you'd like to acquire, but if no one's willing willing to deal, then it can't be done. And the Penguins, again, that 14th pick, how valuable is that pick? We might find out here in the next couple of weeks if the Penguins decide to move it or uh, keep it and take uh, take a player in the draft. And Kyle Dubas didn't really show his hand in, in his press conference when it came to what he will what he may be thinking uh, about that pick. So uh, we're kind of left in the dark with that. But I don't think again the Penguins don't necessarily need that top six. And Kyle Dubas kind of explained if we get the piece, we get the piece. There's been talk about a, a guy to go alongside Chris Letang, which it kind of sounds like Brian Dumoulin would be on his way out of Pittsburgh unless he takes a really cheap deal for a really reduced role on the team, which we can discuss all that at another time. So it all depends on what Kyle Dubas thinks we need and if if someone's willing to talk. You don't necessarily want to just start tossing away assets uh, for guys that aren't necessarily going to fit your needs. And I think Kyle Dubas can be aggressive with the little draft capital he has. And he was like that in, in Toronto, and he was very aggressive uh, with getting guys like Ryan O'Reilly in there. And there's a lot of work that can be done in, in the trade market, but I, I know that we talked about the free agent class being weak. Just because of any top-end talent doesn't mean there's not assets out there that they can use that are much better than what they have on the bottom, the bottom six right now, that bringing guys like that in the bottom six guys that are free agents that, okay, they're not a top six flashy guy, but they're good enough to help the penguins on the bottom six. So when we talk about a weak free agent class, we don't, we kind of talk about it more in there's not like the year that Ryan Suter and Zach Parise were free agents. 
um, stuff like that, that kind of, when there was that whole sweepstakes going on, it's more of a, there's no, I guess, standout name at the top of this class that people will be throwing out eight, nine-year contracts to sign rather than just f- with good talent on the bottom six, which is in this class. So we'll see how Gal Dubas goes with that. It's really hard to get a feeling on who they could target because I do think one area who will be aggressive, and he mentioned the salary cap, is in free agency. So that's one thing to watch out for. Uh, question number 12 from Brian. Um, are you surprised Dubas is named president of hockey operations and not general manager? Who do you see him hiring for the general manager role? I'm not incredibly surprised that Dubas was given this probably fancier and better title than general manager for lack of a better term. It's probably what he wanted in Toronto. He'll never come out and say that, but it's probably the kind of role he wanted up there. He wanted to have control. He wanted more power. And that's exactly what FSG gave him. Like Robbie said earlier, FSG got their man. This was it. And now Dubas has the power that he wants to construct not only a roster, but an entire department of personnel for the Penguins that can go out and acquire future draft picks, future professional forwards and goaltenders. This is what Kyle Dubas had sort of been working towards up in Toronto. He didn't get it, obviously, and that's where he lands here in Pittsburgh. So, no, I'm not surprised. And again, like uh, I think it was either Snail or you, Brian, mentioned this earlier in in the same question talking about – our personal feelings towards the Dubas hire, it just makes me all the more excited because I believed in what Dubas was doing up in Toronto was successful. He never got the Stanley Cup, but how much of that can you really put on Dubas when the players on the ice really, it's up to the players on the ice to go out and win the championship? Again, I can sound like a bit of a, of a hypocrite in saying that professional sport is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately business, and for the Leafs, they, they never won a championship with that core of Matthews, Marner, Riley, Nylander, and so on. So did Dubas's plan up in Toronto work? You could make the argument that no, it didn't work because they didn't win a Stanley Cup, and that's why Dubas is now in Pittsburgh and not in Toronto, or at least part of the reason. I'm not incredibly surprised that he has this more prestigious, probably upper level title compared to GM. Who does he hire for the GM role? Uh, That's an interesting question. Does a guy like uh, Matthew Darsh or um, Eric Tulski, who were in this, in the, these proceedings for what was, I would assume the president of hockey operations does do one of these executives that FSG already interviewed come back and say, okay, we, we didn't give the, the president of hockey ops to you, but for some, it would still be a promotion to be considered the general manager of an NHL team that a lot of these executives were not. So it's going to be somebody that Dubas aligns himself with, has the vision, shares the vision with Dubas in putting an emphasis on analytics and data to construct your roster. So it's going to be somebody in that regard whether it is a Tulski or a Darsh or somebody else uh, who fits that mold, that's probably going to be the person that Kyle Dubas hires comes July. Question number 13. This one is specifically for you, Robbie. It comes from Brian. How mad would you be if the Pirates don't end up drafting Dylan Cruz with the first overall pick in the amateur draft? 
He's an obvious number one pick this year. That would be like the Chicago Blackhawks passing on Connor Bedard. Yeah, I'll be leading the riots down uh, at PNC Park if they somehow do not draft Dylan Cruz uh, with that number one overall pick. Um, I'm not even a huge follower of baseball prospects, but I follow close enough to know that Cruz has been basically the consensus number one for basically the entire season, basically since college baseball started back in January and even before that, really. That's just how good he is. He is a Bryce Harper-type talent. Um, I know that's some lofty expectations to put on uh, the young man, but uh, that's what he is. And he has all the tools uh, to be a guy like that. And everything we've seen from him and everything that the experts have talked about uh, in regards to him has been he is the next guy, the next superstar. And the Pirates, they have a golden opportunity. There's been some, it almost feels like it's just egging on some controversy to get uh, it's been so boring with him being at the top of all the mock drafts that some of the guys have been like, oh, well, what if the Pirates take this guy instead? How can it all break after that? And it just feels like they're looking for something to talk about. It seems like everything's pointing toward Dylan Cruz. And, yeah, he's an obvious number one pick. He is, he's been at the top of that those mock drafts for last summer. So uh, fingers crossed they do the right thing. And if not, uh, I'll see you guys at PNC Park. And last but not least, question number 14 uh, from Brian, wrapping us up this week. I'm here to accept the role of resident food question asker. This week's question is, which Eaton Park soup is the best? I think it's obvious between potato and clam chowder, with potato narrowly winning. Brian, he took me up on the kind of wager that I gave to him last week, and uh, I am following through with my end of it. We are saving the food questions for the main event this week, talking about Eaton Park soups. So if you're not within the Pittsburgh region, you may not know what I'm talking about or what Brian is talking about. Eaton Park is sort of like a mini, like Southwestern PA sort of chain restaurant. It's sort of American kind of diner-esque food. And so they have a soup schedule for a soup each day of the week. And I'd have to agree with Brian that potato soup is probably the go-to. Uh, however, I do know the, uh, I bet all of these soups are probably super salty, which is something that my personal diet, I do not need. I don't need a ton of salt, but I do love a, a good hearty bowl of potato soup. I also love stuffed pepper soup, and I know Eaton Park has stuffed pepper soup as well. I'm not a big chili guy, and I know Eaton Park, again, serves chili as well, but it has to be, it has to be potato soup, right, Robbie? I mean, I know you're out in Johnstown. Does Eaton Park go that far out into Johnstown? Or like when you make your trips to the Pittsburgh area, do you stop into Eaton Park and get the soup and salad bar or what have you? I don't know. We actually have three pretty close out here. Um, yeah, they're all, one's like 20 minutes away, another 15, another 10. So, But they're all in different directions. They're not like just like three different, like two miles apart from each other. I'm going to agree with Brian on the fact that the two best ones are the potato and the clam chowder. Uh, but I'm going to mix up my order and go, I'm a clam I'm a clam chowder stan. I love clam chowder. Well, New England clam chowder, not Manhattan clam chowder. But the clam chowder that Eaton Park serves is New England style, the creamy base. Um, I'm, yeah, 
I'm a clamp chowder number one guy, and theirs is really good. Potato, their potato is excellent, which is my number two. And don't sleep on their chicken noodle. They got them nice thick noodles. Um, they do. You're right. Thick yeah. noodles. The, the, I'm not a massive. I like. I like chicken noodle, but I'm not like. It's never my go-to top soup. Exactly. There's many. There's many others that I will go to uh, before chicken noodle. But um, if we're speaking in terms of Eaton Park, uh, definitely clam chowder one, potato two, and chicken noodle three. But a big, uh, a little pro tip here from uh, an Eaton Park connoisseur, uh, which I consider myself. Um, if you get there on the day where they have the potato soup, go to the salad bar, throw a little shredded cheese on top with a little, a little bit of bacon bits. Let me tell you, that's that's we're getting to a, uh, elite grade uh, potato soup there. So I love Eaton Park. I could go on about Eaton Park for literally a whole episode. But it's it's an elite um, salad bar as well. Um, I'm a huge salad bar person in general. There's a Ruby Tuesdays in Somerset has a great salad bar. We have a Hosses here in Johnstown, which is a great salad bar. Uh, I'm a huge. Uh, we used to have a Ponderosa, which was obviously, if you've ever been there, had a great salad bar. I don't know if you guys had that out uh, in the Pittsburgh area as well, but yeah, huge salad bar fan. But Eaton Park, it's definitely a localish thing. Uh, in the Western Pennsylvania area. So if you're ever in the area and you see the smiley face, I, I recommend it. I know some people don't like it, but for what it is, uh, man, I love, I, I really love Eaton Park. No, I, mean, I agree. I, I grew up with it. Uh, we have one 10 minutes from my house and uh, it's, it's perfect comfort food. Like when we, when we don't know what to eat, like if there's nothing in the house and we're definitely deciding on ordering out, like, Eaton Park is like and always in the top three of like the restaurants that well, you you just shrug your shoulders and say, well, do you want Eaton Park? And then everyone just th- that's what because it's affordable, it's good hearty food, and I mean the quality of it. Look, it, it's a chain restaurant. You're not getting mom and pop diner food, so it is what it is. But for for the nostalgia factor for everything involved, it's up there as one of my go to eateries here. In, in Western PA. So like Robbie mentioned, if you're ever in the area for a Penguins game or a Pirate game or a Steeler game, you're staying at a hotel or whatever, there's an Eaton Park nearby and you haven't had it before, absolutely. Uh, Robbie and I both give two thumbs up to Eaton Park. And if you're listening, Eaton Park, if you want to sponsor this podcast, uh, feel free to reach out to either me or Robbie on Twitter. We, we are taking applications for sponsorships as we speak. But uh, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and if you want to just like <laughs> If you're sampling out some new re- recipes, oh, yeah. See? I can definitely give you an address uh, to get you some to to, to get you uh, for some food. So I'm always always a always always down for some eating park. Alrighty, with that we wrap up another edition of the Penscast Mailbag. Uh, thank you all so much for listening to this week's show. For Robbie Noggle, I have been Garrett Behanna. Uh, thank you all once again for listening to another edition of the Pens Cast Mailbag, and we will talk to all of you again this time next week.